The Al Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy once again, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you. On KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer, here in beautiful San Antonio, on this December, yes, December the 19th, 2020, the last, uh, the second to the last uh, Saturday before uh, we go into our new year, my friends. And what a year this has been. Good night. Um, I, you know, I, I will be glad to say goodbye to it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I anticipate the, two, the 2021 uh, may not be that much uh, better. I mean, the things that uh, that I keep hearing from uh, our local uh, leaders as far as um, the COVID shutdown continuing, uh, the things that I definitely hear as far as the possible uh, uh, Biden-Harris uh, administration coming in, uh, I don't know. I'm, uh, you know, we may end up looking at uh, 2020 and uh as the good old days. <laughs> At any rate, um, thank you for being with us today, my friends. Let me um, tell you real quick on who is our uh, guest, and then we'll launch into some some quick comments, uh, some ideas, some things that are going on, my friends, that, I'm, that I, that I want to share with you. First of all, uh, we've got um, our good uh, friend, uh, Congressman Chip Roy, will be on. Uh, he's he's going to be our first guest. And then uh, I reached out to him and chatted with him because... Uh, just to get an idea of what he, you know, uh, what his idea, what, what he's thinking as far as the the new session of Congress uh, that's coming in, I also wanted to ask him about uh, his uh, thoughts on the um, on the uh, Texas challenge uh, to the uh, to the election in in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, he was one of the few uh, congressmen that uh, was ha- had reservations about it, and I wanted to ask him about that. Uh, our other, our, our next guest is going to be Mr. Uh, Jason Jones. Jason, my friends, is uh, our border crime expert. And Jason sent me a very, very chilling video of a shootout uh, across the river in a community called Miguel Aleman, which is just across the river uh, from the uh, in the Rio Grande Valley. And uh, the shooting, my friends, the video. Uh, it's reminiscent of what, uh, you know, you would see in Beirut in the 1980s, uh, 1990s, the shootouts, uh, or, uh, you know, in the takeover of Baghdad or something like that. It, it is, uh, it is very, very chilling. I mean, there, there is this, uh, this gun battle that, that apparently erupted between two, uh, rival cartels, uh, who want to control, uh, the, um, uh, the entry points into the United States. Now, what's very, very interesting about this, my friends, is that uh, yeah, there have been gun battles being going that, that have been going on uh, between the cartels already. A lot of violence that's been going on. However, my friends, they are really, really ratting, rat, ratching up. They are getting ready for what they anticipate a much more lax border, a less secure border. Because of the Biden administration, because of the Biden uh, Harris administration, that they anticipate is going to, they're going to uh, muzzle uh, the uh, Border Patrol, uh, the DEA. They're going to, uh, they're going to do the same thing that the uh, that that the Biden that, that the Obama administration did with the um, with DEA. Remember the uh, uh, the agent that was murdered with American guns in Mexico. Uh, you know, so there's this complete anticipation by the by the cartels, not to mention by the illegal aliens themselves, that somehow they're going to be able to come running across the border and uh, get uh, sanctuary, get uh, uh, freebies, uh, get to stay in the United States uh, uh, indefinitely. There already is a large number of uh, uh, illegal aliens crossing, 
and uh, literally introducing themselves to the uh, to the border patrol. Fortunately, we still have the um, the, the Trump administration uh, requirements uh, going, and uh, people are being returned as quickly as they they are apprehended and caught. However, the number of people that are not being apprehended, the number of people uh, who are coming across and being apprehended has uh, dramatically gone up, which means that a lot of people are getting through. Uh, it, it is. There's a great anticipation by all of these folks all over the world that somehow they're going to be able to get into the United States really quick, really easily. Our final uh, guest is uh, Mr. Mark Krikorian, another good friend of ours. Uh, Mark Krikorian is the uh, is the executive director for the Center for Immigration Studies in Washington, D.C. And Mark is going to be chatting with us uh, whereas Jason Jones is going to be chatting with us about the violence, the cartels. Uh, Mark is going to be talking about uh, the anticipated uh, policy changes uh, and what impact they're going to have uh, on border security. Uh, Mark uh, and the Center for Immigration Studies have been uh, obviously watching and monitoring what's going on very, very carefully. And uh, they are um, uh, quite worried, as we all should be, because there seems to be, you know, there seems to be a plan to uh, open the borders indirectly. Now, one of the things that's happening and one of the issues that, that I really want to chat with you about uh, as we start our, our discussion, our, our, our show, is that um, the Biden administration is trying to soft pedal the, uh, the whole issue of open borders and the promises that they made to the radical liberals, uh, radical liberals, uh, radical leftists. Uh, who want to do things like abolish the uh, immigration service, who want to abolish ICE, uh, you know, similar to those that want to abolish the police departments. And uh, they're soft-pedaling on it, my friends. They're not telling them no, they're just telling them not right now. There's also an effort, there was a, there was a video, very interesting video, uh, that, was, um, that was on, uh, that Newsmax put out uh, the other day of, of Obama counseling. President, uh, former President Obama counseling the Black Lives Matter people to shut up, to be quiet, to stop talking about uh, the uh, issue of uh, abolishing the police departments. And it wasn't that he was telling them not to do it. He was telling them, don't speak about it out loud. He was uh, counseling them to use other phrases. In other words, he was counseling them to lie. He was telling them that this is not the way that you don't approach it in that in that aspect. Well, that's the same thing that's happening with the um, with with the open borders radicals. The same thing is happening. They are being told, "Be quiet, shut up. It'll get done. What you just need to do is be quiet and let us do it. Let us work it." They're going to gut the uh, immigration uh, policies from inside. Uh, rather than uh, storming the barricades and tearing them down like the uh, radical liberals want to do it. So, I mean, the impact is going to be the same. We're going to end up with open borders. It's just a question of whether it's an inside job or an outside job. And and this is what's very, very disturbing, my friends. It's very, very disturbing that we have politicians. We have high-ranking politicians. We have politicians who are supposed to be venerated like Barack Obama. Telling people, telling people to lie so that they can accomplish their agenda. That's what's disturbing about this. If they say that in a video, you know, they have no qualms about lying to you to your face, my friends. They, they don't. And, and this, is, this is the situation that we're looking at when it comes to, uh, when it, when it comes to the issue of immigration, when it comes to, to the issue of, of, uh, of border security. When it comes to any kind of issue regarding law enforcement, because law enf- enforcing the laws, enforcing the laws is the worst thing that a leftist wants. <coughs> enforcing the law is based on a constitution, is based on rules, is based on, on, the, on, on, the, on the rule of law and order. And that's exactly what the left wants to undermine. You know, somebody like Barack Obama wants to get rid of the constitution uh, and, and the laws so that way they can institute their own ideas of law and order. Uh, you know, something like affirmative action, that's not law and order, my friends. That's institutionalized racism. If these, if these leftists want to talk about systemic racism, 
Let's talk about affirmative action. Affirmative action is systemic racism because it systematically removes a certain class of people for the benefit of another certain, uh, for another uh, racial group. <clears throat> it, it, it's incredible. But this is, this is the mentality of these folks. Let me, let me terminate uh, uh, my uh, opening remarks with this, with this one comment that I have heard this past week that is very, very disturbing, particularly to the folks in San Antonio. Um, the, uh, the district attorney in Los Angeles, uh, George uh, Gascon, uh, who is a liberal Hispanic Democrat, uh, has instituted a uh, program to um, to release uh, uh, minor criminals, uh, and, and what he's doing in, in essence is that uh, he's on a slippery slope to start uh, opening the gates for crime. I mean, that's going to be the same situation that uh, New York is facing, where they became so lax about crime that uh, now it's taken over. Well, here in San Antonio, my friends, we've got a similar district attorney, another Hispanic Democrat uh, liberal. Uh, uh, Joe, Joe uh, Gonzalez. And Joe Gonzalez, my friends, is getting ready to prosecute a, uh, a case uh, of a murdered police officer here in San Antonio. Would you believe that Joe Gonzalez will not be seeking the death penalty on this man who murdered a police officer in front of the police station in cold blood? He hunted the police officer down and killed him at the police station. And supposedly, the DA is not going to seek the death penalty. This is, this is outrageous. This is crazy. But this is the left. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 9.30 a.m. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned for our first guest, Congressman Chip Roy. El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy once again, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 9:30 AM radio and we've got uh, a very special guest with us today. We've got uh, my congressman uh, Chip Roy from the 21st district here in Texas. And uh it's the end of the year and I wanted to reach out to him and get his uh, opinion on uh what uh, might be coming down the pike in uh in Congress in very very general terms. But before we touch on that congressman, let me ask you real quick um Regarding the Paxton lawsuit, uh, you had some reservations about it. Uh, what were your thoughts? Because uh, it looks like it's um, it's gone downhill. Uh, that's for sure, as far as the uh, the Supreme Court is concerned. What were your what were your concerns on that? Well, George, great to be on the show as always, and uh, happy to address the where we're headed in the next Congress. And yeah, the, the Texas lawsuit, which obviously the Supreme Court uh, you know kicked out on Friday. On a nine to zero and seven to two basis, depending on which things you're looking at, I'm happy to explain that further. Uh, that was highly predictable. In fact, it was almost as certain as the sun coming up, and, and I knew that was going to be the case. My view of the Paxton lawsuit was that it was a unnecessary hail mary, kind of like throwing up a hail mary uh, when you still have some plays to run, and it was going to be one that wouldn't work. Uh, it was going to you're you're having your you're kind of B-team short receivers running out there, and you're throwing your receiver out there. I, I did not think it was a good strategy, and here's why. Uh, you were, you were going to go down that road. The court was going to get rid of it. You may not like it, but the court was going to get rid of it. So you wasted a week and all of the energy and the time that we needed to be continuing to lay out and make the case for what is the predominant issue 
which is the rapid increase of mail-in ballots and the potential, and in fact, historically proven, uh, illegal votes that are cast when you have mail-in ballots. We need to be focused like a laser on that to make the case so that people can understand and have faith in our, in our uh, voting system. Secondly, though, uh, I'll on grounds of federalism broadly, but let me be more specific. I don't want Texas to be subject to other states meddling with Texas. And what you have in that litigation, that again, was never going to succeed, was because of lack of standing, is you had Texas going into the Supreme Court saying it wanted to go have an impact on what's going on in Pennsylvania and Georgia and Wisconsin and other states, which is inviting California or New York to come in and impact, for example, our gun laws, or let's just stick to election laws, to come in and tell us whether or not we need to have mail-in ballots for there to be a legitimate election, to come in and tell us what voter ID looks like. We do not want to go to federal court and ask the federal courts to come in and interject into a state-based issue. If there are legal concerns in Pennsylvania, then focus on Pennsylvania. I'm joining an amicus brief today about a case that's still going up on the Pennsylvania lawsuit, raising the question of the Pennsylvania uh, 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 legislature you know, being conflicted with the Pennsylvania Constitution. So there are genuine questions we should look at, but under no circumstances should we have wasted time with a lawsuit that had zero chance. Let me repeat that. Zero chance. And I'll debate that to anybody who wants to debate it, of success. Waste time, be strategically unsound, and oh, by the way, uh, lay out a path for ways for states to meddle with Texas. Consider me 100% committed to that position uh, and recognizing that while some people may not like to hear it, my job as a representative in a republic is to represent the people in the best way I know how under the law to accomplish the objectives we want to accomplish. That's what I set out to do, and I'm happy to have that conversation further, but I think it was an important position to take, and I'm frankly disappointed with others who jumped aboard essentially a uh, thinking ship legislative piece of litigation that had no chance, and we wasted time rather than focusing on things we could have done more successfully. Yeah, it makes sense because uh, I know that uh, the city of Chicago, for example, has wanted to uh, tell other states to quit selling guns because of the high gun because of the high uh, murder right. rate. Uh, yet uh, the city of Chicago doesn't do anything to address the issue of. Uh, of incarceration or anything of the nature. They keep uh, looking the other way. So it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, All right. Thank you very, very much for your explanation. Um, Let's uh, let's talk about uh, the incoming um, any, you know, I I know it's still in the the distance, uh, but a lot of folks are starting to feel now, um, you know, uh, very, very uh, just frightened. And I'll use that word frightened of the of the incoming house. Uh, first of all, do you think Nancy Pelosi is going to get uh, re- re-elected? Well, uh, to some degree, I, I would hope so, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, she has been a re- relatively ineffective speaker, uh, has uh, divided her own conference. So I'm relatively hopeful that she is the speaker, uh, because uh, she's not all that effective. Um, that being said, I don't know. There are divisions in her conference. Right now, I think she has them held together, <clears throat> but with a very narrow division between Democrats and Republicans, a sort of six-vote swing. I think there's one or two seats still being sorted out, but a six-vote swing or so, I think, uh, can affect the the uh, outcome of, of a vote in the House. She's going to have a great deal of pressure on her uh, in terms of what she brings to the floor, what is she you know tries to move. Now, everything hinges on what happens in Georgia. Now, I want to be clear. I do not want to overstate the conservative bona fides of either uh, Senators uh, Purdue or Leffler. What I do want to state is, is that who owns the, uh, who owns the, um, you know, uh, the, the ability of the, to run the Senate matters, okay? And, and that is a huge, huge impact on what we will see come at us on January 22nd. So I think we should keep in mind that Georgia is important. Let's make sure we get those elected. If 
I'm going to assume for the sake of argument right now that we hold the Senate. Now, that's, that's a big assumption. I think it's 50-50 right now. But let's assume we hold the Senate. Then we're going to have divided government, and what we're going to be doing is more of the same of what we've been doing the last two years legislatively, which is beating down bad House bills, have the Senate uh, pass whatever it can, end up with basically end-of-the-year spending issues, and then move on. And that's it. That's really what you do for the next two years, and then you go fight to retake the House. What you'll be beating back is executive branch overreach. What you'll be beating back are bad executive orders. You'll be beating back bad foreign policies or walking away from Israel in support of Iran. What you'll be beating back is walking away from border enforcement, walking away from having a secure border that stops cartels. You'll be walking away from, uh, you know, defunding Planned Parenthood or, you know, the Mexico City issue with respect to life. All of these things, I keep going down the list, some of the great health care uh, policies for short-term, you know, limited-duration plans in the HHSC, uh, issue after issue, Department of Justice, what they'll do with the Civil Rights Division. You want to talk about the use of the federal courts to go interfere with states? Well, just wait for what happens under another Democrat administration. The nominees that he's picking to run these agencies are, quite frankly, horrifying. They're, they're frightening how liberal they are. So we need to make sure that we're not voting to confirm any of these uh, nominees uh, in the Senate and, 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 and have those conversations. If the Senate goes Democrat, then ladies and gentlemen, you better Katie bar the door and get ready because a whole lot of bad stuff is coming our way. We're talking about D.C. statehood. We're talking about uh, massive regulations on guns. We're talking about interference with your ability to, uh, uh, you know, frankly, you're going to see more defunding police kinds of things. You're going to see... Uh, policies with respect to our foreign policy that are frightening with respect to Israel and Iran, as we've already talked about. But you're going to see a massive shift. You might even see court packing, all sorts of things. So we got to keep our eyes on the prize, make sure we hold the line in Georgia, hold the line, beat back executive branch stuff uh, if, if we're able to hold the Senate. But that is the, the biggest thing between now and January 5th. you got to hold the Senate. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is very, very frightening. There was a, there was a, an article that I read yesterday about um, the plans that um, the squad there in the House has already done. But all of that is going to be contingent on, um, on them capturing the, the Senate so that they can push it through. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, it, it's truly frightening. It's truly frightening, their ideas. Uh, everything from an open border to uh, uh, getting rid of guns, as they put it. Uh, it it's just very, very one thing that I would add, George, and, and I'm trying to condition some of my fellow uh, Republican colleagues, is that we got to go on offense right now holding Republicans accountable to hold the line. So let me give you an example. We're going to be able to vote either this afternoon, tomorrow, or Friday on a spending bill. I'm pushing forward a letter right now with my colleagues in the House saying and, and encouraging the president to veto said spending bill because it will continue to spend at the high levels, the, the, the you know cap-busting levels of the last eight years. Uh, piling on more debt for our kids and grandkids while passing a omnibus, I mean, while passing, I'm sorry, a relief bill for the virus, like almost a trillion dollars, and we're going to be blowing past $30 trillion. So we ought to oppose that. But here's the bigger reason. This is the most important reason. Why would we continue to fund the very institutions that are taking away our liberty and destroying our country? Why would we fund an education system that is teaching our kids to hate America, teaching our kids that America is evil? Why would we fund a border and DHS, uh, uh, you know, regime that allows open borders, doesn't secure the border, doesn't finish building defense, and empowers cartels. Why would we fund uh, foreign policy agencies that are saddling up with China and Iran instead of doing what we need to do to secure the United States? Why would we fund an HHS that is empowering insurance companies and bureaucrats instead of uh, helping families and doctors? Why would we fund any of these policies? Why would we fund grants to election systems that are broken? Why would we fund the continued funding of cities that are shutting down small businesses and defunding cops? I, I just, for the life of me, George, we need to start calling out every Republican who votes for any one of these appropriations bills until we start doing our constitutional job. Right, because um, you know, uh, one of the things that, that worries me is that you know the uh, the Democrats are very very uh, adept to uh, saying one thing and then doing another. <laughs> so, you know, uh, compromising with them, agreeing with them is very, very dangerous. We can't, we can't give an inch because they'll take a mile. <laughs> well, 
that well, that's the thing, and I think we need to rem- remember we Republicans, we conservatives, more importantly, we need to remember why we came here and what the fight is. And for too long, we've been going along to get along. You know, I've raised a lot of issues in my short two years here. I objected to 19 billion. I objected to some of the spending on the border. Created a lot of ruckus up here. I'm just saying, you know, get ready. Whatever tool I have at my disposal, we need to start using. We need to stop allowing the mass police to tell us how we're going to live our lives. We need to stop letting people shut down small businesses who, you know, are killing their livelihoods and everything they've built up with their families. We need to stop empowering bureaucrats to interfere with our kids and our grandkids. We need to stop spending money we don't have and piling up debt, and it needs to stop now. No more games, no more promises, no more waiting to the next election. Stop it right now. Enough. And that's what we need to do, in my opinion. Um, and that's what I'm working to try to do while we're trying to multitask with the election issue as well. But we got, we got to get geared up in these spending fights as well. You got it. Congressman, thank you very, very much uh, for, for your time. Uh, we really, I, I personally really appreciate all the, all the work that you do over there. Stay safe, and uh, we'll be checking with you again when the, when the session starts so you can tell us, uh, give us an update of uh, what's going on at that point. Once again, George Rodriguez and Consolador on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer in beautiful San Antonio. Uh, We've got our very, very good buddy, Mr. Jason Jones, the uh, expert on border crime and what is happening with the cartels on the border. And I wanted to get him on here because uh, very recently this past week, Jason posted on his uh, blog uh, a recording of of a fierce, and I mean it is fierce, a fierce gunfight that was going on across the border in the community of Miguel Aleman, across from uh, the the Texas border uh, in the Rio Grande Valley. And uh, it sounds, I mean, it sounds ominous. And uh, I wanted to get him on so that he could tell us from his perspective what the heck is going on at the border at this point. Because uh, with the comments coming from the incoming, with the supposed incoming Biden-Harris administration, uh, we could really, really, uh, the Americans, uh, Americans in our community could be uh, really looking, uh, we could all be looking at some very, very dangerous situations. Jason, thank you for taking time. Welcome to the show. Tell us about this very chilling, very scary uh, posting this video that you posted regarding the shootout in Miguel Aleman. Sure, George, as always, it's great to be back with you and to uh, be with your listeners again, and thanks for having me. So December 1st, we left Austin, went down to a small community that we've gone to many times in Roma, Texas. Uh, for those not familiar with Roma, Roma sits just outside of McGowan, Texas, and between Laredo. Uh, it's a small community, and the reason it has become ground zero at the southwest border for Texas anyway is because it's an area where you have the border wall not present, and so basically people are being funneled through that area, but for the cartels, it is the area where they can still move drugs and illicit commodities uh, through that area. So Cartel de Gafo and Cartel del Mareste for the past year and a half have been a war as they call it, for control of Miguel Aleman and Camargo in a small community called Los Guetta, which lie just across from the Roma Rio Grande Valley area. And uh, we arrived on the 2nd, December 2nd, at 3.30 a.m. because we had intelligence that uh, gun battles may be occurring. And we also arrived with a national news media crew from Fox News. And I don't want to say which journalist was with us yet. But we got there at 3.30 a.m. and at approximately 4.02 a.m. the gun battles kicked off. And for the next hour and a half, and I, I mean, I want to say this again, for, the ne- for an hour and a half, we listened to on and off very significant major gun battles. We heard the use of belt-fed 50 caliber uh, machine guns. We heard the use of 40 millimeter 
grenades going off. We heard hand grenades and just an incredible exchange of gunfire. And what we would learn later that day as the sun would rise is that Cartel del Nareste, which was, used to be known as the Los Zetas, were conducting scraping runs uh, in armored vehicles and non-armored vehicles against uh, checkpoints of Cartel de Gotham. And basically what they're doing is weakening their front with constant barrages and hits. And then we were able to obtain a lot of footage the following morning from social media posts showing where these 50 caliber rounds were going through buildings in Miguel Alamon and other things. It was truly an incredible gun battle, but the best part of it is that we had a national news uh, journalist with us and Fox News uh, producers who were also able to hear it and record it on their high-end cameras, and that will be coming out. I just, we're not ready to discuss who it was yet. Well, I mean, you know, now these uh, these cartels have been at war for a long, long time, but it just seems like their gun, like their their firepower has has intensified and gotten worse, has it not? It has, and it's part of the evolution that you've heard me talk about uh, in the past, George, and why we have to look at the cartels today for what they are and not for the way we remember them. You know, you'll hear from so-called experts that go on different news outlets who have never debriefed a cartel member and never, you know, created programs to go after them. They have not understood the evolution of the cartels going from organized crime into an insurgency in 06 in Mexico as the Mexican military was began to be used to try to go after them and as they actually began to fight back against the Mexican military. And then also then into terrorism when we began to see mass killings of migrants. You know, you may remember the 72 migrants that were murdered in San Luis Potosi. Uh, back in, uh, I think it was around late 2010, early 2011, by the Los Zetas. And then the mass killings that continued. And then today where we see the cartels, where they're truly operating as a parallel government. I know last year, many of the listeners may remember when Ovidio Guzman, the son of Chapo Guzman, with the Sinaloa cartel, was arrested in Culiacan. A massive gun battle broke out, and the president of Mexico was forced to release him. So this is where we are. This is what has been happening, you know. I don't look at the border the way um, I want it to be. I look at it for what is happening and how it affects the American people. It it really is frightening because, I mean, when you think about the the firepower or the armaments that, for example, the Border Patrol has, or even the Texas Department of Public Safety, uh, I mean, they don't routinely carry grenade loaders, (laughs) grenade throwers, do they? No, they don't. And I can tell you, I retired from the Texas Department of Public Safety, and I led intelligence-led operations uh, for the Texas Rangers, uh, both their recon units, their SWAT team, and for their special response teams across the state. And my job was to collect the intelligence to give to their leadership so that they could launch operations to secure our border. I know it very well. Um, I've spent most of my career on that border. I was a trooper in El Paso. I was was an undercover narcotics agent in Brownsville, Texas in 04. And I was a lieutenant in DPS narcotics uh, in Laredo, Texas as the war broke out. And I can tell you, we have to look at what has happened. These cartels have changed the game. I mean, the first surface-to-air missile seized in Mexico was in 2016, right before I retired. It was one of the last things that that um, I did before retiring, I got that released unclassified so that that way, you know, the FAA and pilots across the country could see what was happening because our fear was that as, you know, aircraft took off out of El Paso because that thing was seized uh, in Juarez, that as they make that turn coming back towards Houston and other areas, you know, they needed to be aware of what was occurring. I mean, this is the kind of firepower the cartels have, and the country must step up and do what needs to be done. It is. I mean, you know, the um, uh, if that's the kind of firepower that they've got, then it seems to be like you know uh, we definitely need to use the military more than more than just depending on on uh, border patrol agents that you know just have normal guns on their on on their uh, uh, person on the on a, on a regular point, uh, basis. The other issue is uh, the one that you keep preaching about constantly is the issue of. Uh, um, of uh, designating these uh, cartels as uh, terrorist organizations, the 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 sound and view of that video that was captured looks more like Lebanon 
or, or Iraq or Tehran or someplace like that than it does uh, a border a border town across the river from from the United States. It, it really does, and that was captured just so you know with a night vision scope that has the ability to produce color images in, at night. Uh, it was a it was a very very advanced uh, camera system, but I will tell you that that gun battle was one of four that occurred during that week. It had been happening back to back. So we really believed that we were sitting in a, at a good time to be able to capture it. And sure enough, you know, just a little over 30 minutes after arriving, it kicked off. But we've got to look at what's happening. And one thing that I want the, the folks listening to know is that this is fixable. It truly is. And I, I know that the American public is tired of talking about the border. They're tired of talking about the immigration issue. They're tired of talking about the human trafficking issue. They're tired of talking about the human smuggling issue and all of the drug problems that we're having in this country. And one thing I can tell you to those listening is that we can't do what we've done for 40 plus years, trying to arrest everyone and hoping that that's going to fix it. Because the data today proves that everything we're doing using a law enforcement only model has failed. Not because I say it, because the data shows it. I mean, if you look at the amount of meth and fentanyl coming into our country, it's worse than ever before. If you look at the overdose deaths in the United States from those two things, we've never seen these numbers before. You know, over 75,000 people are expected to die from overdose deaths in 2020, George. And that's cartel dope is what it is. And then look at the amount of death and violence happening to Mexican citizens. I mean, we're going to have more deaths in 2020 from the cartel violence on Mexican citizens than ever before. So, you know, this isn't Mexico versus the U.S. This is looking that that criminal groups have now become terrorists, and they need to be treated as such. There is nothing in the law enforcement toolbox, and I will tell you, I'm aware of all of them. I'm aware of everything that law enforcement can do by legal process to fight this problem. And the reason I've come out and I have been at this for almost four years is because I know there's nothing else in our toolbox that we can bring to win. Yeah. We have to use the full tools of national power. Yep. We've got to uh, close out, but tell the, the folks, uh, Jason, how they can follow you and where they can uh, read uh, your, your blogs and, and, and more than anything else, hear, hear about what's going on at the border. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be posting a lot more video from the shootout and from our trip to Arizona. So if you want to follow, you can go on Twitter, you can go on Facebook. Or you can go on uh, TikTok. We're even there now. You'll just type in Jason Jones. That's J-A-E-S-O-N Jones. Or you can find us at Tripwires and Triggers. Excellent. Once again, we've been talking with our good friend Jason Jones on KLUP 930 AM Radio. The answer, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Thank you. El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy once again. My name is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you. On KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer, here in beautiful San Antonio in South Texas. And we've got uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Mr. Mark Krikorian, who is the executive director for the Center for Immigration Studies in Washington, D.C. And uh, I wanted to chat with him because uh, he's uh, put together a commentary, a, a, an article, regarding uh, the uh, proverbial... Uh, Boiling of a frog, the slow boiling of a frog as it pertains to uh, changes that uh, might be coming down the road regarding immigration. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Tell us about this uh, this article that you've written and what you're what you're thinking about uh, immigration policies in the coming administration. 
wrote it is because I am afraid that a lot of people who are, you know, immigration hawks who are pro-enforcement, want to make sure the border is enforced, realize, of course, that Biden is terrible on this issue. But I think too many of them expect things to go really bad right away. In other words, that Biden's going to come in and on the first day sign something, open the borders, and everybody's going to pour over. And it's not going to be like that. Because Biden himself, or at least his people, I don't know what he knows anymore, but at least people, you know, running the administration know that politically this is very dangerous for them. I mean, if he comes in after Trump and the border, you know, falls apart, basically, that's a gift to the Republicans running in 2022. And they only need to pick up a few seats to take the House of Representatives. So what the Biden people are going to try to do is twofold. One, I think, is they're going to try to slow walk some of these immigration changes. They're going to do them. There's no question about that. But they're going to want to try to spread it out a little bit so that the media, you know, that basically supports them will, you know, be able to kind of ignore it and cover other stories. It's just a little thing, a little drop at a time. What's the big deal? The other thing they're going to try to do is actually hide things that they're doing. In other words, camouflage them so that, again, their spokesmen in the media, because the media will basically just be poodles for the Biden administration, will um, be able to ignore the story successfully because there's nothing to see. You know, in other words, if there's caravans, it's hard for the media not to cover that. And there's already, you know, there was one caravan started already in Honduras. Uh, the um, Guatemalan police at the border broke it up, but that's just the first thing. The cartels are telling people that with Biden in office, they're going to let you in. And uh, the reason they know that is because they just read Biden's website. It's not like it's a big secret. Congressman <laughs> Cuellar, in fact, in Laredo, talked, uh, told the media that uh, DHS gave him a briefing, and they specifically talked about that. Smugglers are saying once Biden is in, uh, you're going to be able to get into the country and stay in the country more easily as an illegal immigrant. So that my, my basic point is that's why I use that boiling the frog slowly thing, even though scientifically, apparently it doesn't work that way. But the story is, if you, you know, turn the heat up slowly in a pot of water, the frog will just sit there and then boil rather than jacking it up all at once really hot. And then, then he would jump out. So um, they're going to try to boil the American people slowly so that they don't jump out of the pot. Uh, and uh, that's, that's the point I was trying to make in my National Review article. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen, I've already, I, I read an article yesterday regarding the, um, that the Biden people were telling uh, the, uh, the more radical leftist open borders people to be quiet regarding, you know, abolishing uh, the border patrol and abolishing this and abolishing that, opening the border, tearing down the wall. They were telling them, literally telling them to be quiet. And we have seen uh, a, uh, a a video where uh, Obama himself tells people to, to shut up about the, uh, the idea of abolishing police and instead to say you want to reform them. Uh, clearly, you know, they're playing with with words, but they've got uh, the goal in mind is the same. So, uh, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. I mean, and that's the difference on the Republican side on immigration, for instance. You have the, you'll have the uh, kind of, uh, you know, of, uh, political officials, the um, consultants and what have you seeming to, you know, be uh, sort of rein in the. Uh, base, the ordinary voters. The difference there is the political class actually doesn't agree with the base on immigration. They're much uh, more closer to the Democrats. On the Democratic side, though, the reason the kind of things you've mentioned are, are happening is not because Obama or the Biden administration people disagree with the radical left's views on immigration. They don't. They hold the same views. They're basically just saying it's not politic to say it out loud. Don't 
mess it up for us. We're going to open the borders and amnesty people, as many as we can, but we need to do it piecemeal. We need to stretch it out a little bit, not do it all at once. We need to hide it as much as we can because we don't want to lose the election because they know that in two years there's another election and people don't like this, like what the Democrats want to do, a lot of it anyway, on immigration. And so so my point here is that when there's that kind of commentary among Republicans, it's because the elites and the base disagree, actually. On the Democratic side, their elites and their base don't disagree. They hold the same support for unlimited immigration. They're just making a practical point about how to basically con the public more effectively rather than just come out and say what they want out loud. You know, it's very, very interesting because here in South Texas, um, the, um, you know, Trump won the Hispanic vote by a long shot. And it was a, it was very, very interesting because uh, the Hispanics have long, the, the Americans of Mexican descent, like myself, have long been opposed to illegal immigration. And it wasn't until Trump came along and started speaking openly and, and strongly about stopping illegal immigration that uh, so many of us uh, stood up and took notice. However, you know, we continue to hear, we continue to hear people uh, within conservative circles, within Republican circles, continue to say that we've got to soft pedal the issue of immigration so that we don't insult Hispanics. Well, you know, it, it's it's very, very interesting that they t- still take that approach, uh, while it's definitely the approach that the Democrats are now taking. Yeah, it is. It's kind of curious. I mean, that's the same thing that the political class among Republicans said after Romney lost. There was the infamous autopsy, they called it, of the, you know, of Romney's campaign. And their argument was, you know, we Republicans need to get behind so-called comprehensive immigration reform, where you amnesty all the illegal immigrants, massively increase legal immigration, and pretend that you're going to enforce the law tomorrow, but never do it. Well, uh, yeah, there are some people who are going to want to make that argument today, but honestly, how much, you know, how much, I mean, if Trump wasn't, enough to turn off voters of, you know, Latin origin. Um, And he, in fact, I mean, he won at least one county in South Texas. He had way, way better turnout in other counties among Tejano voters who were basically patriotic Americans. I mean, there's no, you know, um, I mean, they're culturally, yeah, they're Hispanic background. Well, I'm Armenian, so what? You know what I mean? Exactly. He did really well there. That's exactly right. And he did well among Cubans, too, in South Florida. My point is, if he didn't, if his immigration policy and rhetoric didn't turn off Hispanic voters, then whose would? In other words, why would you, you know, what soft peddling is really necessary there? Exactly. We've got uh, only about a minute left here, so uh, uh, how would you surmise, uh, summarize the, um, you know, the, the, what would you counsel right now with uh, Republicans coming to, the, to Washington, D.C. at this point? Uh, they need to um, make clear that they're not going to go along with the Democrats' attempts to gut all enforcement. And, uh, you know, I'm afraid that there's going to be a big push among the Democrats to amnesty all the illegal immigrants. And the one question both citizens and politicians should ask any Democrat making that argument is this. Let's say we amnesty everybody tomorrow. What are you willing to do to enforce immigration law to the next illegal immigrant who comes in tomorrow? Are you willing to deport that guy, even if he's not a criminal? And if your answer is no, and the Democrats have said no, then you are not serious about enforcing the borders of the United States. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, I I remember when I was working in the Reagan administration, we opposed, uh, you know, the amnesty that that they did in 86, uh, that they were proposing at that point, um, 
and uh, you know, they said we were going to enforce. We're going to enforce. Well, here we are, so many years later, and they've never enforced anything. Not even the employer sanctions. Rarely have they enforced employer sanctions. I mean, it's uh, like uh, the old saying goes: uh, "Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me." That's exactly the first right. time we did that deal in 1986. It was at least plausible. I mean, logically, it kind of seems like it should work, but now we know it doesn't. The people the amnesty were lying when they said that they would support enforcement of new illegal immigrants. And the Democrats are now openly saying that they will not enforce immigration law, even against tomorrow's illegal immigrants, not just the ones who are already established here. Right. And I'm not sure how you compromise with that position. That's right. Mark, thank you very much for being with us today. Tell the folks how they can uh, support uh, your organization and where they can uh, read more about it. We are online at cis.org, that's Center for Immigration Studies, cis.org. We have a blog with new postings every day. And for people with a taste for snark and sarcasm, I'm on Twitter at Mark S. and Stephen Mark S. Crickord. Gotcha. Well, we thank you for taking time to be with us. Once again, my friends, we've been talking with uh, Mark Krikorian, the the executive director for the Center for Immigration Studies in Washington, D.C. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930 a.m. The Answer. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire 